electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the last debate of 2020, pollster Frank Luntz. I believe that Donald Trump's worst opponent was not Joe Biden. His worst, his biggest opponent was really Donald Trump. 40 million votes have already been cast and Luntz warns counting them all will take some time. As the polls close and as the first votes are counted, Donald Trump is going to have a lead. He may even have a significant lead. As they count that postal vote, as we go into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Biden is going to close that gap, and I think he's going to move ahead. And the campaign to stop disinformation online. Consumers and Congress are looking closely at social media. Former Facebook exec Chris Kelly. I think that what you're seeing is an evolution and an understanding that there's a responsibility in a democracy to make sure that factual information flows more easily than than questionable information. It's Friday, finally, October 23rd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. More importantly, welcome to Friday. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I want to get straight to, of course, the big story. I don't know how late you stayed up, but I stayed up till the very end. President Trump and former Vice President Biden facing off last night in their final debate uh, before the election. Joining us right now to focus on the issues that matter most to your money, pollster and political strategist Frank Lunds. Frank, let's get straight to it. Some of the top moments from the debate, this one from the first hour. Take a look at this. They say the stock market will boom if I'm elected. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay, let's move on to the next question very quickly. Look. The idea that the stock market is booming is his only measure of what's happening. Where I come from in Scranton and Claymont, the people don't live off of the stock market. So, Frank, you know, I, I, well, maybe we should start here. Who won this debate in your mind? In the mind of the undecided, Trump won. But he did not win by a significant margin. It's not going to change any votes, which is the real question. I mean, the real question is who's going to win this election and did the debate have an impact? And the answer is that it, it, it still looks like it's going to be Joe Biden. It still looks like Donald Trump ended up being his worst enemy. And by the way, there were two separate debates last night. If you watch for the first 20, 25 minutes, Andrew, you say that you stayed up late to watch the whole thing. Well, the first 20 or 25 minutes, Donald Trump, Trump was calm and he was collected and his answers were precise. And you actually had to lean into listening to him. I was in the hall. And I was watching the people around me, and they were all sitting forward. But as the debate went on, he got more and more agitated with Joe Biden. Clearly, the uh, the idea that there was a button that could mute him bothered him. And Joe Biden, while he did not give answers, kind of answers that the public wanted, they were good enough that he did well enough that I don't think it changes the trajectory at all. Okay, I want to show you another clip right now, and then I want to walk through uh, what what you thought about it and, and what those who are around you thought about it. The economy came up again 
when the candidates made their final case of the night. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success, but I'm cutting taxes and he wants to raise everybody's taxes and he wants to put new regulations on everything. He will kill it. If he gets in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen. Your 401ks will go to hell and it'll be a very, very sad day for this country. All right. Vice President Biden, same question to you. What will you say during your inaugural address to Americans who did not vote for you? I will say I'm an American president. I represent all of you, whether you voted for me or against me. And I'm going to make sure that you're represented. I'm going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities, enormous opportunities to make things better. We can grow this economy. So which was the more effective final uh, uh, final effort? That encapsulated the election in a nutshell. You had Donald Trump just, your 40 case will go to hell. You had Donald Trump being explicit, being accusatory, uh, being very strong, but, but being negative. And you had Joe Biden, I mean, the language that he used, I'm an American president. I re represent all of you. And that Biden approach, I believe, is the reason why he's leading in most polls, anywhere from 8 to 11 or 12 percent. Now, our undecideds were looking for answers. They were looking for specifics. Frankly, they were looking for solutions to what's going on. And they didn't feel that Joe Biden provided them. And what I think is happening is that it's a choice between a persona that you don't want and policies that you're afraid of. That Donald Trump still presents himself in, in a way that voters are wondering, do I want four more years of this versus policies that they don't know that aren't uh, clear? And frankly, Joe Biden made no effort to really clarify them taxes, never talked about the Supreme Court, never talked about statehood for D.C. or Puerto Rico. Now you're going to jump in. In the end, Fred, I do believe that Donald Trump himself last night, but not high enough. Go ahead, Andrew. Frank, what about, I mean, there were allegations, obviously, from both sides about corruption. Uh, the president uh, tried to go hard at several points uh, against Vice President Biden in relation to his son, uh, and some of these uh, reports or theories, depending on uh, where you stand about them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Vice President Biden went back at, 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 at the president about uh, corruption to some degree or arguing that there was corruption inside his own administration. Did either lay a hand on each other? No, because what, what went on with Hunter Biden was still never clarified. Donald Trump was successful in raising the issue. He wasn't successful in prosecuting the issue. There's a big difference. So that our focus group participants, they still don't understand what Hunter Biden did. They don't understand the connection between Hunter, business connection between Hunter and his father. They wanted to know more. They were upset that Joe Biden didn't explain more. But did it change their vote? No. In the end, I think that former Trump voters been undecided because of that debate. I think they're going to come home. But Donald Trump needed to, to radically change the condition of this race in 11 days. The advertising won't do it. The speeches won't do it. The rallies won't do it. The ads won't do it. So that you've got to give Trump a minor victory because he'll bring a few voters home and it'll close the race a little bit. But in the end, I think Joe Biden won the war. 
I uh, want to show uh, everybody your focus group right now, if we could. Uh, you know, the economy remained a focus during that, uh, that, that, during uh, so much of the conversation. Why don't we show everybody that right now? Prior to COVID, the first three and a half or three years of his presidency, um, he was doing great. And then COVID happened and our economy has obviously gone into the tanker. And if there's somebody who's going to be able to get us out, I believe it's going to be him. Jill? I am also concerned about Joe Biden's tax plan. So we know that Trump has shown us that we could have a good economy under him. And then Biden's tax plan, I mean, if 50 Cent is worried about it, I'm worried about it too. I asked you this last time, Frank. I said to you, how many people do you think are genuinely uh, either independent or undecided at this point? How many of those people do you think genuinely were really undecided? Everyone has a slight preference. They cannot, they just don't, they really don't want four more years of Donald Trump's persona. And that is different than, than I guess, being completely undecided. So they all have preferences. And the key is to understand what move. I, I believe that Donald Trump's worst opponent was not Joe Biden. That his worst, his biggest opponent was really Donald Trump. That they were prepared to back him on jobs. They were prepared to back him on taxes. They're prepared to back him on the economy. But they're not pre prepared at this point. And you see the betting odds. And I actually think that that's a reasonably good bet for Trump because polling data shows that it's much broader for Joe Biden. So maybe you're getting an edge. Uh, you're getting uh, decent odds for betting right. for Trump. But in the end, it was not about the economy. In the end, voters are deciding who they want into their dens and their living rooms and their households four more years. Donald Trump did not make that case. So, Frank, was this debate format better for either candidate? And when I say this format, you had a different moderator. And I know there was lots of uh, uh, fighting over various moderators in the past. And, mo and I don't know if it's most important or not, but this idea that they were going to turn your microphone off, um, I, I, you didn't see people actually go past that microphone time. Maybe that unto itself created discipline for everybody. Yes, and I do think the first debate hurt Donald Trump so much that this actually helped simply by comparison. That Joe Biden was essentially the same person yesterday that he was in the first debate two weeks ago, but that Donald Trump had had calmed down. But that demeanor only existed for the first 20 or 30 minutes. If you play those clips, I wish I'd done that for you. If you play the clip of Donald Trump in his opening versus Donald Trump in his close, you see two different individuals. First individual in the opening is the individual that the public wanted to vote for. And I saw that in the in the focus group chat. The individual at the end was much more like the old Donald Trump. But Andrew, this is a show about economics. This is a show about taxes and jobs and business. And Donald Trump won that part of the debate. But, he, but Joe Biden won the part on climate. He won the part on race. And frankly, Joe Biden proved that he is um, that he's a more likable, more uh, uh, bipartisan, more unifying in his approach. And undecided voters, unifying and reconciliation is important. Is there anything that you think that can happen between now and, um, and vote, voting day that can meaningfully change the direction of the market, and do, uh, not the market, uh, the vote, and do you believe the polls right now? Well, if I don't believe them, then I'm basically attacking my own profession. And I do think that they are overstating Joe Biden's lead. But if that lead was only four points or five points, I would say that this is still open. 
But at nine or 10 points, let's say that they did make the same mistakes that they made four years ago. The mistakes were off by one or two points. They aren't off by nine or 10 points. It is going to be virtually, virtually impossible for Donald Trump to make up that gap with only 10 days to go. And, and with 40 million votes already being cast. Yeah, Frank, that's what I was going to say, is there's even more than 40 million votes that have already been cast at this point. I, I, I just try and wonder what that means. The other issue, though, is, you know, it, it's nine or 10 points if you're looking at national polls. If you're looking in the swing states, in the states that really matter, it's a much closer game. Um, and, and there is the issue that Democrats are, are, are largely, they make up the bulk of those early voting in many states. So I just wonder how that plays out or how we even figure this out when this is so different than anything any of us have ever dealt with before. I'm going to give you two polling results from the last 48 hours. Two-thirds, actually 64% of Biden voters think he's going to win, even though he's leading in every survey. 81% of Trump voters think he's going to win, even though he's losing in every survey. So you've got confidence on both sides that they're going to be successful. Second, you're correct that the bulk of the early votes are blind. The problem is what's going to happen on election night, and I want viewers to focus on that, because as the polls close and as the first votes are counted, Donald Trump is going to have a lead, and he may even have a significant lead, and he's going to say, and his voters are going to think, that he won the race. As they count that postal vote, as we go into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Biden is going to close that gap, and I think he's going to move ahead, even in the swing states. And so you're going to have one set of Americans thinking, that they were robbed on election day, and a different set of Americans think they were robbed three days after. And that's the most important warning I can give to you. It has nothing to do with debate and has everything to do with vote count. That who wins Tuesday night is going to be different than who is leading on Friday night. Okay, Frank, final question for you. Realistically, given what you understand and know about the world of vote counting, what's a fair date, if we were to put it on a calendar, when you think we will actually know or feel relatively confident, even if there are fights and other legal disputes after that, which I'm imagining uh, may be coming? I'm going to go with Saturday, November 7th. And I'm doing the math in my head because in the end, you've got to be clear that you have won a majority. I think it's going to take five days for enough of the postal votes to be counted and the, and the, uh, uh, the, the challenges to be filed. I think we will have an indication by Thursday morning. And in fact, I'm actually trying to change my appearance on your show from Wednesday to Thursday, because I don't think we're going to know Wednesday morning. I think it's going to take Thursday morning before we get the indication, and it'll take until Saturday morning before we are really sure if it's going to be the next president. So, Frank, on the just a real clear politics average, you are, you're, you're close. It's 7.9, 7 7.9, but there are a lot. The Quinnipiac is 10 for Biden. Uh, New York Times, uh, Siena is 9. Survey USA is 10. But you do have the IBD, which they point to, and some people say that was an accurate one last time. I, I don't know. That one is, is 4. And then Rasmussen, which is always, it seems like it has more of a GOP representation or something. That's 3. But so there's a lot of 10s, a lot of 9s, a lot of 11s, but the actual spread today is, is 7.9. So we'll see. I, does that yeah. change your view on, on the next, what'd you say, 11 days? So 10 or 11, I could see it. 7, 9, that's different than, I mean, just, that's exactly where it is on the real clear the, politics ever. I, and I said 8 to 10. The, the exact, if you go back in history, 
fastest close in the last week was Ronald Reagan over Jimmy Carter. He went from one point down to winning by nine points. So that's a 10 point shift, which is what Trump needs to do. The reason why Reagan shifted is because he so clearly beat Jimmy Carter in the debate. And he did so by asking a simple question. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And the public said no. Under Donald Trump, a plurality feel that they're better off, but it's not that wide. And Donald Trump did not perform as well last night as Ronald Reagan did against Jimmy Carter back in 1980. Frank, I was so there. I, I mean, I, I remember I voted for Carter the first time around. That was anyway. But I was there and I remember and I, I don't ascribe it to just the debate like that. It was a single night that just did it. it when it finally happened, uh, <laughs> it looked like, you know, when it finally did happen, it was like, wow, this was. Uh, this was the way it should have been, the way it was meant to be. And, and I, I don't know about, you know, last, I, 2016, we'll see. There were some uh, egg on a lot of faces. And, and, and we're going to have people on today that, that were at 80 or 90 percent for Hillary, and they're going to talk about where they are today, uh, invariably, and it's going to be there. So we'll know how, uh, how everything comes out in 11 days. They can project. Ask him right now on live television. He's trying to hedge, make him project who is the next president who, me, and what me, is me? the spread. Yes, if exactly. I, if I was a pollster, I, I, maybe I'd do that. But I, I, I'm just bringing up. You're, I'm what, challenging you to project. Viewers want to know what you think is going to happen. Tell them. Go ahead. I, I, on my television. I, I, that's not, it's not my job. I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for either. And I, I don't, who are you voting for? Look, we, we very much appreciate you joining us. We always appreciate your perspective. Next on Squawk Pod, the divisive campaign for president putting big tech in the crosshairs for criticism and crackdown. Facebook's former chief privacy officer, Chris Kelly. We do have standards at the end of the day around facts, and particularly close to an election, that protocol gets implemented. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. It's been a big week for big tech. The CEOs of Facebook and Twitter were subpoenaed to testify before the Senate Commerce Committee, October 28th. Next Wednesday, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey will be questioned by senators. At issue, how they handled circulation and sharing of recent unverified New York Post coverage about former Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Also this week, Google. The Justice Department filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google, accusing the tech giant of illegally protecting its monopoly on online search. The crackdown on Google was a rare moment of bipartisanship, garnering support from Republican attorneys general across 11 states and from high-profile Democrats like New York's AG Letitia James and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican, has historically supported colorfully 
a breakup of big tech, having referred to Zuckerberg and the others as big tech oligarchs. These are some of the biggest and most powerful companies in the history of mankind. And if these companies want to act as editors and curators and censors now, then they ought to face the same kind of liability rules that you all face. So Congress needs to act to amend or to repeal that immunity. That was Senator Cotton today on our TV broadcast. He and many other lawmakers have long been concerned about big tech's growing power. Remember back in July, if you can stretch your mind that far, Alphabet, parent of Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple CEOs all testified remotely before the House Judiciary Committee. Do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you ought to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, so help you God? Yes, sir. Let the record show the witnesses answered in the affirmative thank you and you may remain seated. The two issues in these proceedings with both houses of Congress, Big Tech's alleged monopoly power and Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. That's the liability shield that ensures that these technology companies are not responsible for what's posted on their platforms. It's what distinguishes Facebook's newsfeed from a traditional news outlet like ours at CNBC regulation-wise. The lawsuit against Google could end up being the U.S. government's biggest challenge to a tech company since it took on Microsoft in 1998. The Squawk Box team spoke to Chris Kelly today. He's Facebook's first general counsel, and he also served as their chief privacy officer. Before his time at Facebook, he represented Netscape in its antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft in the 1990s. A lot to get to. Here's Joe Kernan kicking off that conversation. This is one of those... Uh, one of those, uh, I guess, areas where we wish we could just have a, a really simple answer. This is how it's going to be. This is not how it's going to be. And we're a long way from, from consensus on this, Chris. What, what, what is the right thing to do? No one's got, ever going to be I agree happy. that we're a long, a long way from consensus. And I also want to point out that there, there's uh, the, the idea that there aren't extensive liability protections for the mainstream media under the First Amendment. Um, and the 230 is the only thing that, 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 that differs here. You know, if you were to get rid of 230, there would still be extensive protection for the decisions that um, that that the tech companies make, just as there is extensive protection under the First Amendment for traditional publishers. And the a, a lot of the players in this space like to avoid that difference and 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 to say that it's all 230. It's actually the First Amendment in quite a number of these cases. And so I, I expect that that will be part of the the hearing when it finally gets set. Um, for the discussion, and that you know, 230, I think, is a great way to make it clear who's responsible for speech. But 230 protects uh, mainstream media too when it when it has comment boards on its internet sites or when it operates on its uh, through its apps, etc. So the, this this uh, idea that the 230 is this radically different uh, protective measure for the internet isn't quite right, and that needs to be uh, introduced into the debate and the discussion as well. Andrew, you want in? Chris, the, the thing that I don't understand about this, and I was trying to get at with, with Senator Cotton this morning, is uh, if, in fact, you were to remove 230 and that liability protection, I would imagine the ultimate answer would actually be more censorship, not less. I, I actually think that that's the most likely outcome, is that you would see a lot more extensive um, you know, sort of review of, of facts. And it's just a burden that you don't necessarily want to place on the companies. It's a role that, that Facebook has resisted in a number of different ways and is implemented in very particular ways around the election 
this time to avoid being a tool for Russian disinformation, Russian and other disinformation. Um, you know, it was implemented in the most recent New York Post case in, a, I think, what's a very light touch way where there wasn't a blocking of the sharing of the New York Post piece on online the way that there was on Twitter initially, um, but it was referred for third party fact checking. And uh, that, that as that comes back, there will be either a, uh, a allowance for it to spread normally through a newsfeed promotion um, or it would be labeled and in the most extreme cases blocked. But that's all reserved primarily for COVID uh, misinformation so you, and things Chris, that will explain, immediately cause people to be harmed. Can you explain then the political calculus um, for those politicians who come on our air and, 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 and elsewhere? Uh, who've suggested Look, it, that there should be liability? For, it's a, it's who a very are also easy saying that they don't want censorship. Right, it's a very easy means of trying to to work the refs that they're not happy that this story isn't spreading the way that they expected it to, and so they're they're just trying to to you know to push it as aggressively as they can, just the way that the president did in the debate last night. Um, they're trying to get it out through any means necessary, and I, I guess I understand that from a political perspective, but. When you're trying to run a platform that plays things down the middle as much as it can and that has set forth a number of standards around these things, and particularly close to an election, and when Facebook was essentially being accused in 2016 of being a tool of Russian disinformation, um, the company hears that and wants to say, that's not, that's not a, a goal of ours. Um, our goal is to spread good information and to allow people to state, you know, uh, to have a voice, um, a variety of perspectives um, on everything, but an opinion should be robust and wide open. But we do have standards at the end of the day around facts and um, in particularly close to an election, um, that, 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 gets, that protocol gets implemented. Well, that was what I think Senator, Tom, uh, Senator Cotton's point was. I, I think you just said it. They, they, are, they were burned once, and maybe they've, they've uh, maybe reacted by going too far the other way, Chris. And Senator Cotton's point was the dossier or whatever you, whatever you want to look at over the past, uh, in the past election. And now all the things that, that were circulated on Facebook and Twitter at that time was zero fact checking. And at his point well, yeah, was that, the, the, I mean, you know, the, the, the Pope endorsed Donald Trump, yeah. that, all these different things. Well, that's what that was his point was. Suddenly they found religion, you know, when it comes to, you know, when it, in this case, but in the past there was, there was no concern whatsoever. It was a total wild west, and, and anything went on on what what got. I, I would I would dispute that there was a complete wild west, but I don't. I wouldn't dispute that it was a different approach to things in the 2016 election, and I think that what you're seeing is an evolution and an understanding that um, there's a, a a a responsibility in a democracy to make sure that 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 factual information flows. Right. Uh, more easily than than questionable. Well, in this case, it happened at where they, they, they were able to do it to one uh, political party back then, and now the other political party might be affected. Now, which I, happens I think to be just... total, which happens to be exactly in sync with what we think about with Silicon Valley executives as well. So, and, and I all... think that that's all sort of an easy, lazy trope for a lot of conservative politicians okay. to go to as well. Uh, 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 I love lazy tropes. Uh, Chris, uh, 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 well, I just made two points. One is, I think it's fair to say, I don't know if you want to call it the mainstream media, but the mainstream media originally did not pick up that dossier report at all. It actually came from BuzzFeed and then later became reported on once effectively uh, folks in Washington started to comment on it. And and, 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 and again, that was after the election. That. That's the other thing to point out about the Steele dossier. That was after the election. So, but, but the second thing I wanted to ask you about is, 
clearly what is happening in Washington is a conversation about using the antitrust laws to deal with potentially this issue of censorship. And my question to you is, when you define the markets uh, effectively around news, the distribution of news to the public, I often talk about the idea of newsstands. If there was one monopoly company that owned every newsstand and could actually decide which publications they were gonna put in the newsstand and which ones they weren't, do you believe there's a monopoly on news right now? Not, not even close. I mean, that the, there's a, and this is where everything from the Cicilline report in the House to the actions of the Federal Trade Commission uh, as they explore uh, potential antitrust action against Facebook and obviously the DOJ has taken action against Google. Market definition is the critical part of any antitrust case. And, and as Ben Thompson of Stratechery and a number of other people pointed out, it's not even clear that Facebook has a monopoly in any relevant market um, for, for anybody to take action and say that some of their actions were, were somehow anti-competitive or a violation of the antitrust laws. Um, you know, that's the first point. When you extend this further to a you know, fighting against alleged censorship, um, that's e e an even further stretch, um, that, that if you're worried about disinformation and worried about general actions, Facebook has its own First Amendment rights to run its platform the way that it, that, that it wants to at the end of the day. And, and if it wanted to be biased, it could. It chooses not to be. It chooses to actually sort of articulate generally acceptable standards around hate speech, around a number of things that cause immediate harm, and to try to apply that as, as evenly as possible and to set precedent right. over time. And you've seen right. the, the new Facebook Supreme Court, as people call it, yeah. um, finally getting launched today. And I think you'll see the yeah. most extreme cases go to that and inform the, the future of the company the way that it enforces its rules. All right. Thanks, Chris. I, I give you one more lazy trope. It was after the election last time, but before the two and a half year, $48 million Mueller probe that, that resulted from it. Anyway, there's, that's it for my lazy tropes. Uh, thank you. And uh, uh, but we will we'll, <laughs> we'll see you next Fair time. Enough. All right. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. And that's Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I laughed. I cried. Four stars. It was uh, quite a show, guys. And uh, I asked <laughs> someone asking me to... It's to, Ask me who's going to win the, 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 the elections. Ugh. It's like, I'll show you my DraftKings account if you want my predictions. Um, I don't really think you, you need my predictions um, for anything at this point. You Your know Draft what I mean? DraftKings account has not, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hasn't been. Uh, take the opposite. Fade, fade my picks. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, have a great weekend. Uh, and we'll do it again next week. You too, week. guys. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll meet you back here on Monday. Hey.
podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.